come to our consideration on the back page, and it's uh, talking about the inadequacies of the false gospel. Okay, there we go. The inadequacies of the false gospel. And this is from Henry Moores and Martin Clark in their book on the Bible has the answers. Nevertheless, the false gospels proposed by men are utterly inadequate. Materialism denies that God is a God of love and wisdom and in effect says that nothing has real meaning or purpose. Universalism ignores the holiness and justice of God, supposing that he will not punish sin and ultimately settle all accounts. Moral relativism assumes that there is no objective moral standard in the universe against which all decisions and actions must be measured, and thus that at, uh, any divine decisions as to a person's destiny is merely capricious. None of these human philosophies are really satisfying, either intellectually or spiritually. Therefore, none of them will offer a man a confident hope for eternity. The gospel of Christ, on the other hand, when received by faith, does uh, meet every hum- need for human life. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is a power from God. And so this is from Henry Morris and Martin Clark in their book on the Bible is the answer. And you do see it. I mean, it's an interesting thing to see people acquiesce to people. And they want to water down scripture and... Uh, you know, we were around some people like that when we first went to Portland, and you just see that it really brought us to the conclusion there is no answer but Scripture. Everything else is just a waste of time. There are no other solutions outside of Scripture. Well, look around you. We really basically live in a paganistic society. You realize that, right? And look at the answers that they have to things. How's that working? They're making fools of themselves. And the smarter they say that they are, the more foolish they look. I mean, they're making absolute fools of themselves. And, you know, every solution they come up with has a dead end to it. (laughs) It's just an amazing thing. And so you really see that. And so if you stay with Scripture, you're going to be on the good side of it. And so now we come to our uh, message for Resurrection Sunday. We wanted to take some time out to address the fact of the and celebrate the resurrection of Christ uh, today. And, um, and we wanted to talk about something. And I really, as I was led to, to speak on this message, wanted to talk about the effects of the resurrection as it affects you today. And it's interesting as you talk about it, it has some real implications for the believer. And I don't know that we really have an appreciation for it. And so it, it makes a difference when we see this. And we're going to be talking out of Romans, the sixth chapter. And, and Paul talks about the likeness of being in the likeness of the resurrection of Christ and how important that is. And so you have uh, when you think about similarities, you have this issue in language where you, um, you have hosts, which is uh, used in the Greek language. And it's uh, a similar and you make a, a comparison to something. And, for example, you say, Kevin, you eat like a horse. Well, you're not saying that I look like a horse. <laughs> there are some things that I have in common with a horse, and it's the eating. But it breaks down, hopefully, I think you would say, after that, right? <laughs> I don't think there's other similarities. But there are words in the Greek language that have more things in common than um, just uh, a few things that are similar. And so you have this adverb that we're going to zero in on today, and it's the word host pair. And it has a likeness that falls just short of identifying totality to the thing that it's compared to. 
And so a good illustration is uh, in, in comparison of the Lord's time and the heart of the earth to Jonah and the belly of the whale. And you see it in this scripture in Matthew 12:40. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. It's really interesting comparison there. And so there's a, you see, Jonah was in the belly for three day, of the whale for three days and three nights. And the sun was in the belly of, or in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. And so, so in that, in that word, you have a little bit more commonality. It's not identical, but there's more commonality that you see than with some of the other simile type words. <clears throat> and the believer's resurrection is this way. And this is why we bring it up. That word is used relationship in relationship to the believer's resurrection and how it's compared to Christ's resurrection. Uh, and the identity of being resurrected together with Christ. Now, I think what we're going to preach today is a good psychology lesson. You realize that? Because when you realize that you, your identity today is you're identified together with Christ, that who you were when you were born into this world is no longer. Do you know that's hard for people to fathom? They can never wrap their mind around it and they just can't let it go I have siblings to this day when I talk to them there's certain things I will not talk to them about all they want to do is revisit the past and they want to go through all of the tomfoolery of talking about things that they encountered I'm over that I'm done with that I'm not I don't, I don't have any identity with you on those things. I just don't. And I just don't even think about them. Some people are consumed with them. All they can think about is what happened in their past life. And they can't let it go. And it just, it's like an albatross around their neck. For some of them, it's like Linus. Is it Linus, the guy that had the blanket? That he couldn't, he had to take it everywhere. It's like their little security blanket, right? They got to have it everywhere he goes, right? And so some of them, all of these things are this, and particularly, and you see in the American culture, this victimization. You know, whether people have their identity is their victimization. I'm a victim. <laughs> and that's, that becomes their identity. But do you know that because Christ was raised from the dead, that you were raised together with him? And that your identity is totally different from what it was before you believed the facts of the gospel. If you can wrap your mind around that, it will change your life forever. And I understand a lot of people won't. They never will. But the one that does, it will change your life forever. We see in the book of Romans, as you turn over there to Romans, the sixth chapter, <clears throat> Paul writes something and he says it. And I don't know that a lot of believers really understand what he's saying here. But if you understand it, it will change your life forever. Notice what he says here in Romans, the sixth chapter <clears throat> in verse one. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in really is the sin nature that grace may abound? And so he talks about the fact of what God has done. <coughs> he goes through the first three chapters of the book of Romans <coughs> and he says what I have told you um, 
uh, on many occasions, and it will really set your mind at ease. Follow me here when I say this. There's nobody in here any good. Not any single one of you are any good. Look, listen to me now. This will put your mind at ease. You'll be better off when you understand this. You ain't what you think you are. You are not what you think you are. And the world is so busy telling you from the time that you grew up and your time you're a little kid, you're special. You're such a wonderful little kid. And, oh, you're just this and you're that. I look at some of these Hollywood stars and it just, you just say, yikes, what an empty suit. <laughs> it's all you see there. Nothing to see there. A bunch of people who think that they are something more than what they are. And it's so wonder that they're drug infested because they're loony. They're loony because <laughs> they've driven themselves to think that they're something they're not. You see, none of us are any good. And so he goes through the first three chapters and he says, the Jews are not any good. The Gentiles are not any good. Then he gets to the third chapter and says, there's nobody any good. No one's any good. And if God had not intervened, there would be no one who would be saved. Do you realize that? In the world, the world is so busy thinking that there's something that they're not. The thing about us as believers is by the grace of God, we understand that outside of who we are in Christ, we're nothing. But as a result of what Christ has done, as a, of, of us being uh, tethered to his work, that he, we died together with him, that we were buried together with him, that we're raised together with him, that we have a totally different identity today. If you can wrap your mind around that, you shouldn't have a problem living this life. And so notice he goes on and he says, why should we continue in the sin nature? We don't continue in the sin nature that grace might abound. God forbid, how shall we that are dead to the sin nature live any longer therein? Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, are we buried with him by baptism into death? That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in a new kind of life. Think about it. If believers could wrap their minds around this. See, I, I, it's an interesting thing because you see it in the world and you see it in Christendom. It's a fascinating thing. You see people walking around with crosses. And the cross is their thing. And they think that there's some significance in that. And you even see unsaved people do it. And they're tethered to the cross. But I like what Andy Johnson Flint had said in the poem that we continue to show you. If that was it, if the cross was it, then Christ would have only known defeat. But you know... It was the resurrection from the dead that brings the victory that we enjoy today. If you can wrap your mind around the fact of this, the fact that you have been co-crucified together with him, co-buried with him, and more important than that, that you were raised together with him. And that the Father does not see you as you were when you were born into this world. 
The moment you believe the facts of the gospel, Christ died on the cross for our sins and that he was buried and that he was raised again on the third day, that your identity changed from being over here in Adam to being in a totally new place, raised together in Christ. <clears throat> if you can wrap your mind together or wrap your mind around that, it will change how you see this life forever. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity of being able to look at these things and grateful that as believers <clears throat> that we have this totally new life as a result of the work that your son accomplished on our behalf. Totally um, not deserving of it. It's totally nothing that we've done to earn as a result of what you did uh, through your son as he as, uh, was a perfect sacrifice for our sins. And we're so thankful for that, Father. We, could, we didn't... We were lost. We had no way out, but you provided the way through your son, and we're so thankful for it. In your son's name we pray. Amen. And so we see this issue of the resurrection of uh, Christ, and we'll see our likeness to it as Paul talks about it in Romans the 6th chapter, verse 4. So the resurrection of Christ from the dead was significant uh, to God's plan and purposes <coughs> for this dispensation. When you talk about the resurrection, you could deal with people and people that talk to you about Christ died and was buried they don't have a problem with the fact that Christ died but when you talk about the resurrection that's where the problem comes in now we had talked about it and Scott was uh, with me uh, when I was talking to a co-worker back a few years ago and uh, I don't know if he remembers this but when we got to the point of the resurrection and that fellow says to me uh, you don't mean that you believe that somebody could rise from the dead and, and most people, they just don't have a prop. They have a problem when you talk about the fact that Christ was risen from the dead. Now we see over here in Luke, the 18th chapter, that there was a problem that the disciples had with it. Uh, more than just the, the resurrection, some of it was the fact that they uh, had this idea that the kingdom was going to be set up. But they certainly rejected the fact that he was going to die and be raised. They didn't really grasp what he was talking about here. Now notice in verse 31 of Luke, the 18th chapter, he says, He took unto him the twelve, and he said unto them, Behold, we go into Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. For he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles, and shall be mocked, and spitefully entreated, and spitted on. And they shall scourge him, and put him to death. And on the third day he shall rise again. And notice, now if I told you this and you said uh, what they, they said here, I would think, you're unsaved. Right? But notice what happens here with their response. You would have thought that they would say, great, wonderful, you're dying for our sins, right? No, notice what they said here in verse 34. And they understood none of these things. And this saying was hid from them. Neither knew they the things which, was, which were spoken. They had no idea what he was talking about. I would hope today that if, you, if I said that to you and you said, I don't have, what are you talking about, resurrection? You know what I would be thinking at that point? I think we have a tear. <laughs> I think we have an unsaved man. Because everything that we, we believe today is predicated on the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. The resurrection is so important 
it, it should be included in every account of the gospel. Joyce and I went to a, um, a friend of ours house, some uh, older lady that uh, she's gone on to be with the Lord. She was a believer and she had a big box of tracks. I mean, just she had collected them over the years. And I guess it had to be 100 in there. And we just were sifting through them, sifting through them, sifting through them. And we only found about attending two or three that had the gospel in it. Um, and one of them actually was from Reggie White, who used to be the former football player that passed away some years ago. And most of them have the ideal of Romans 10, John 3.16, but they don't have the gospel in it. Any good news that you're telling someone about how to be saved that, does, that is, does not include the resurrection is no gospel. There is no gospel. And no one can be saved from any uh, explanation of how to be saved that does not include the resurrection of Christ. Now you say, well, Kevin, you're just sitting up there. You're being a little dogmatic. What makes you say that? I'm glad you asked. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and we'll show you. <clears throat> so, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and notice in verse 8. <laughs> notice what Paul says here and as he's talking uh, to Timothy and he's giving him some insight um, and we'll start with one because we're, we're going to swing back around through here. I think this is just a wonderful verse. I don't think that there's empowerment that can be meted out if you're not living resurrection life. I think there are people who are dearth of power because they're trying to live on your power. Can I get this correct in your minds today? That everything that I see in scripture is you have no power to live this life. Any power that you try to meet out you're do, with outside of what God can provide, you're doing it on your own strength. And that's not going to get you very far. And a lot of the weariness and a lot of the, the angst that people are feeling, when you try to do things on your own strength, you're going to feel it. God has to provide the power for you to operate. Notice he says it to Timothy here. Timothy was suffering from Spiritual cowardice. And what does he tell Timothy? Timothy, he goes over into Ephesus and he's dealing with these older people, these false teachers, and they're giving him a hard time. And notice what Paul tells Timothy. He, uh, in the first chapter, he says, God's not given us a spirit of timidity, but a power and of love and of a sound mind. And I think Timothy was about like um, John. Mark, who was wanting to go home to mama, and Paul had to encourage him. And notice what he says in verse 1 of chapter 2. Thou, therefore, my son, be strong. And you really don't get that in the English, what's really being said here. It's actually a word, endunimus. You be empowered. And where does that empowerment come from? Do you just moxie it up? Do you get stuff from the world system? Do you go to one of the, the do-it-yourself section in the local grocery store and listen to Dr. Oz or Oprah or any of these other gurus to tell you how to live your life? No, be empowered. And where does that empower come, empowerment come? By the grace. And where do you find that grace? In Christ Jesus. 
Now, no truer words have ever been spoken, and I would say no truer words have ever been neglected. I don't think people get this. I really don't think that they see what is being said here. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangles himself in the affairs of this life that he may please him whom hath, uh, who has called him to be a soldier. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet he is not crowned except that he strive lawfully. The husbandman that labors must be first partakers of the fruit. Consider what I say. The Lord give thee understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead. Really, you would say he was raised out from among dead ones, according to my gospel. The resurrection is essential to the gospel. No resurrection, no gospel. There is no good news without the resurrection. What are you telling someone? That he died on the cross? There's a lot of people that have died. There were two thieves died with him on the cross that same day. You know what the difference is? Is that he was raised from the dead. And that was the common refrain that you continue to see the apostles emphasize. That he was raised. And so notice here, as you see Peter uh, throughout the book of Acts and throughout his uh, apostleship. In Acts 2, verse 24, you see it as he's preaching uh, the day of Pentecost. And uh, what he emphasizes here to the Jews on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, and we'll pick it up at verse 22. He says, you men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know. Now notice these miracles, signs, and wonders were done to authenticate who he was. And so notice in verse 23, him being delivered by the determinative counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by wicked hands and have crucified and slain, whom God has raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not uh, possible that he should be holden of it. And so, notice, you killed him, but God raised him up. It's funny, when you look at churches today, the emphasis is upon the death of Christ. Scripture puts the emphasis not just on the death of Christ, but on the resurrection of Christ. Now, this is essential when it comes to your present in salvation and my present in salvation. Because we see that he was raised for what? Our justification. When you understand the implications of our connection with him being raised from the dead and what it does and means in your life in the hearing now, you'd do a dance, maybe even a holy dance. <laughs> if you really understood the dynamics of what's happening there, you see. And so notice uh, Peter emphasized in the message to the Jewish leaders in the third chapter in verse 15. Uh, and he, he continues to bring this before them. 
and they became enraged that he continued to emphasize that they put him to death. In verse 11 of the third chapter, Peter heals this man who was uh, lame from his mother's womb. And notice in verse 11, and as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. And when Peter saw it, he answered and said unto the people, you men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness we have made this man to walk? The God of Abraham and, the, of, um, and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, had glorified his son Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the holy and just one and desired a murderer be granted unto you and killed the prince of life whom God has raised from the dead. Now, why does he say that it's raised from the dead? We don't understand, but it's that word from the dead is actually the, the phrase ek necron. Those who are in a state of death. You know, uh, the Greek language is just a wonderful language. It's, it's so sp- uh, specific. So the word for when you die, at the initial point of dying, is the word thanatos. And that just looks at the fact that you have been separated from your body. Your spirit and soul is separated from your body. So then you go from thanatos into this word here, necros. And necros means that you're in a state of being dead. You're in a state of being dead. So when Christ was raised up from the dead, he was raised out from among the rest of those who were still in their tombs. They were still dead. Now, why is this important? We're going to see that it's also compared to the believers today. Because you and I have been raised from the dead. And we'll see it. And it has very much spiritual implications to it. Now notice Peter emphasized it in his message to the Gentiles in Acts the 10th chapter in verse 40. You continue to see the emphasis on the resurrection from the dead in Acts chapter 10. And notice in verse 40. So as Peter goes into Cornelius' house, as he was instructed uh, by the the, uh, Lord, uh, notice he's talking to those who who are in the the house. And let's pick it up, if we we would, in verse 33, and we'll read down through uh, verse 40. Immediately, therefore, I sent to thee, Cornelius is talking here, and thou hast done well that thou have come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things that are commanded of thee of God. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that fears him and works righteousness is acceptable with him. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, that he is Lord of all. The word I say you know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee. Now notice here, after the baptism which John preached. Now I believe he's talking about the kingdom of God. You see, That was something that was preached by the Lord after John was put into prison. You can take, go right back over to Mark 1.14 and you see that. Now notice how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all these things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. 
But notice what happened. Verse 40. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly. Not to all, to all the people, but uh, not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. And so you see that Peter, it was a central focus. The resurrection was a central focus of Peter. I don't understand today how we got here to where the resurrection is not a focus. And for a lot of believers, it's not. No resurrection, no gospel. And so you, you just, and there's so many different things that people are saying to people about how you're saved. And unfortunately, they don't line up with what Scripture says. Christ died on the cross for our sins. He was buried, and he was raised again on the third day. Now, notice um, the other thing here with, with the Apostle Paul. You see it in Antioch on the 13th, in the 13th chapter. He's talking to the Jews at Antioch of uh, Pisidia. Now, this is, to me, a very fascinating chapter here because he's talking to the Jews, and the Jews reject him. But the Gentiles are listening and they hear this, and you'll see what happens here. We'll, we'll read down through there. We'll pick it up at verse um, 30 of Acts, the 13th chapter. Paul is talking. He says, uh, well, go back in, in verse 26, actually. Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God, and to you is this word of salvation sent. For they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew not him, nor the, yet the voices of the prophets, which were read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in condemning him. And, through, and, and though they found no cause of death in him, yet desired the pilot that he should be slain. Remember, if you go back in the Gospels, you see that it says in Luke, I think it's 24, that Pilate knew that it was out of envy that they wanted him dead. There, there was no reason why he should have been put to death. And notice he says in verse um, 29, and when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. But God raised him from the dead. And so Peter emphasized that, or excuse me, Paul emphasized this. Now notice he's talking to the Jews and notice uh, what's interesting as you go down uh, in verse 42, and they rejected it. And notice in verse 42, now when the Jews were going out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them for the next Sabbath. Now when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and the religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them persuaded them concerning the grace of God. And the next Sabbath they came almost the whole city together to hear the word. Uh, now what's interesting about this, verse 40, look, hey, look at the, the, Jew, the Gentiles' response to it. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. Or really, I would say, as many as were standing in line to receive eternal life believed. It was their time to believe. God flicked the switch on and they believed it. And so it's just really interesting to see. But notice the resurrection and how important it is. And, and you see that Paul emphasized that even on Mars Hill, you see, you see that he emphasized that. Now, a failure to emphasize the resurrection of Christ and its implication for believers today has undermined the believer's power for living. Notice, let's look at 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. It not, it not, not only undermines the uh, believer's present tense or initial salvation, it undermines 
um, the believer's future, uh, future tense salvation as well. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Uh, look at verse uh, 17. Now, Paul, there was a segment of people in Corinth that had been affected by the preaching that there was no resurrection from the dead. And so Paul is writing to them in uh, 1 Corinthians 15. And notice he says in verse 13, but if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is vain. Uh, verse 14, our preaching is vain or empty and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he raised not up. If uh, so be that the dead rise not for if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, then your faith is vain and and you are yet in your sins. It's an interesting thing that he does here. He uses the word for vain, a couple of different words for vain. This word for vain is, uh, is mateos. You know, you have the word uh, for vain uh, he uses earlier in uh, uh, 14. And that word is actually the word that we get our, uh, would be the word that you hear. What was the song back in the day? Canos, you're so vain. I bet you think this song is about you. You're so empty. <laughs> Uh, this one has the idea of that there is no point to it, that there is no point to your faith. If Christ be not raised from the dead, there is no point for why you would believe. Your faith is pointless. There is no point to it. And if, hey, if, if there is no resurrection of Christ, hey, let's just all just chunk the Bibles. We'll all go out and just live any way you want to live because it doesn't really matter. Eat, drink, and be merry. And this is what you see with the pagans in the world today. They don't believe it, so they believe get the best out of the world that you can because you're going to die and nothing really matters after that. But Christ has been risen from the dead, and when you factor that in, it gives a whole different meaning to how you live this life. Now, notice in verse 52, uh, with regard to future tense salvation, notice he says, Paul reveals a mystery to the Corinthians and he says, behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. So now you're going to have those a promise that those who have died before the rapture, um, are going to be raised, that their bodies are going to be raised. And there is a future hope or an expectation that you and I as a believer can have that when we die, we're not going to be left behind. Our bodies are going to be raised from the dead when we see it intricately in 1 Thessalonians. Uh, Well, turn over there, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This is just a wonderful Uh, chapter here the believer has hope not only as a result of the resurrection for this life but we have hope for the resurrection um, as a uh, hope because of the resurrection for the life to come you see it in the 13th verse of uh, 1 Thessalonians 4 for I would not have you to be ignorant brethren concerning them which are asleep that you sorrow not as others even who have no hope for if we believe that Jesus Christ, that Jesus died and rose again, even so also them that sleep with Jesus will God bring with him. 
So here's the expectation that when the Lord returns, that those who have died before will return with him. My mother died in 1989. My father died in 2002. The expectation is when the rapture occurs, they, when they died, got an intermediate body. We know that from 2 Corinthians 5. So when they return, when the rapture occurs, they're coming back, and that body that is in the grave is going to be raised, and it's going to be transformed and changed instantaneously into a glorified body. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians why that's the case. Now, you might think this body is a knockout, but wait until they put it in the grave. Pull it up in a few years and see how much of a knockout it was. Remember old Anna Nicole Smith? Well, she thought she was a knockout, right? Would you want to see her body today? <laughs> Raise it up out of the grave and see how much of a knockout it is. It might knock you out, <laughs> but it, it won't be a knockout. And so there's this resurrection, this expectation that these bodies are going to be changed. They're going to be transformed. And Paul said, these bodies are earthen vessels. They're suited for the earth. The body that we're going to get is a body suited toward the heavenlies. It's going to be a spiritual body. Totally different kind of body. And that resurrection and that expectation is a result of uh, uh, the expectation that we have as a result of the Christ being raised in our relationship to him, which we'll see back in Romans. Now notice he says, For this we say by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them to which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the, say, with the quality of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together in the clouds. And really, I love this. Really, not to meet the Lord in the air, but into a meeting with the Lord in the air. Isn't that wonderful? And so I believe that's where the Bema Seed Judgment is going to take place. And all accounts are going to be cleared before we can advance further. We're a wonderful time. And so now he's going to be able to present you faultless, without spot or blemish or any such thing. I like the way Jerry Vernon McGee used to say, I've never seen an ugly bride. Every bride always, always looks beautiful. And some of you say, I, I beg to <laughs> I beg to differ. Most, you see a bride and brides look their best on their wedding day, right? They look their best on their wedding day. And boy, this bride's going to look wonderful. How you look today is not going to be how we're going to look in the future, for sure. And all of those are going to be taken care of. Now notice, they want to look at the implications of Christ's resurrection over in Romans, the sixth chapter. And how it affects you and I today. Now notice, he, the believers are identified with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. This is why, another reason why it's so important to get the gospel correct, right? Because I believe there's just a transition in right into your present in salvation when you understand Christ died as a substitute for our sins, right? It's just so easy to, to make that transition now. Now notice he says, believers are identified with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection through the baptism into the body of Christ. And so when you believe the facts of the gospel, you were dipped into the body of Christ. The word baptism is actually the word baptizo, and it actually has this idea to be dipped into something. It's actually used of pots and pans being dipped and washed. So I hope that when you wash your dishes, 
Now, I don't like using a um, um, dishwasher. I like washing dishes by hand. I don't know why. I just, we never had one growing up. I guess I never got used to it. <laughs> I like doing it by hand. And you don't, well, what if you came to my house and I just sprinkled some water on the dishes? <laughs> just put them in there, right? Uh, you would just probably think, well, I'll never eat here again, right? I mean, you would not be satisfied with that. And so that's the ideal behind this word for baptizo. And it's the, it actually has us to immerse or to dip into something. And it's used that way. And I've given you uh, an illustration of it in Mark. We won't go there. And so you have uh, spirit baptism and then you have water baptism. Well, all water baptism is picturing when we get baptized today by water baptism is it's, it's, um, it's picturing what happened in the spirit realm that you did not see. You see. When Christ died, I died. When Christ was buried, I was buried. When Christ was raised from the dead, I was raised from the dead. As you're coming out, up out of that water, you're picturing this resurrection that occurred that no one saw in real time in, in the spirit realm. You see. And notice I give you an illustration of this. Look at 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, and verse 13. Paul writes and he says, uh, verse 12, for as the body is one and many members and all members of that one body being many are one body. So also is, and I would say the Christ. And he's talking about the body of Christ with Christ as the head of the body. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jew or Gentile, whether we be bond or free. Whether we be male, be, excuse me, bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. Can I say something here today? These people who are bringing all of this race stuff into the church, do you know that that's a bunch of foolishness? It is the biggest foolishness that I have ever heard perpetuated in the church. They are saying things that are absolutely not true. And there are three groups of people that God identifies today. You're either Jew. You're Gentile or you're in the church of God. And if you're in the church of God, you're not identified by your race. Now, this is the craziest stuff. And if you believe this nonsense that the world is peddling, you're going to get yourself into a lot of trouble. It's not who you are. It's not who you are. I get upset and insulted when somebody calls me black. I do not identify as black. You know why I identify as a believer in Christ. Do not bring me down to the level of this world system. Don't. It's nonsense. This is the craziest stuff I've heard perpetuated today. And you're trying to bring the church down to a level of what a world is. And we're better than that. And so you have this, and so we are baptized into the body, body of Christ, and you lose your racial distinctions. There is no white church. There is no black church. There is no Jewish church. There is a church. Amen. This is craziness. And any church that gets involved in that, you can tell that they've, they've departed from Scripture. Well, let me show you again. Look at Galatians, the third chapter. 
This stuff here is some of the most crazy stuff that I have ever seen. And it's uh, really affecting the church in a lot of ways. I hope you as a believer are not identifying yourself this way. I trust <laughs> to God that you're not. Notice he says here in the Galatians, the third chapter, verse 26, for you are all the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You see that? So now you're clothed. You're not seen as what you were. You're seen as being in Christ. And as long as you're identifying yourself by your race, you're not identifying yourself with who you are in Christ. That's who you are. I saw a bumper sticker when I was out delivering for FedEx one day, and it was really correct. I wanted to stop the person and get, find out where they got it from. Christianity, a race of its own. And that's true. In Christ, you have lost the identity that you were born into this world with, right? So what does he say in 2 Corinthians 5? In him, I mean, that uh, if any man be in Christ, there is a, you are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You will not pull me down. And I, if you want to get rattle my chain, get me involved in this kind of foolishness. You're going to rattle my chain because I refuse to be identified with it. And so there is no reason we are when we do that, we are separating ourselves from who we are in Christ. Which is far superior to any kind of identity you had before you were saved. Far superior. And you're living in an inferior manner when you do it. Okay, I'm off of my high horse there. <laughs> I mean, it's just one of those things where you can see the world is trying to infringe upon the church and rob the church of who we are. That we're much better than that. We're much better than that. And so notice going back to Romans, the sixth chapter in verse three, he says there's an imputation that took place as a result of this. And you were baptized into this body. Um, and notice he says, there, know you not that as many as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. And so you were dipped into Christ. And so you were counted to have died together with him. You see, you are identified with the death that Christ died. It was as if you and I were dying for our own sins. He was such a perfect substitute for our sins. That the Father could see you there. And we sang the song, Were You There? And again, Lewis Berry Chafer said that he went to a church here in the South and they were singing that song, only they changed the wording. And it was accurate, more biblically accurate than the way we sang it today. They said, I was there when they crucified the Lord. Almost sounds like heresy, doesn't it? But do you know that from the Father's point of view, Christ was such a perfect substitute for our sins, it was as if you had done it for yourself. Not only did he die 
But notice he goes on to say, and therefore, verse 4, we were buried together with him uh, by baptism. And that word buried is actually, you don't see it in the, um, the uh, English, but it's this, this uh, preposition, this compound form of buried. And it's ideal that we are identified, there's the close identity together. And so you were buried together with him uh, from the father's reckoning. And not only that, you'll see that as a result of being buried together, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, that we should walk in a new kind of life. Now, I just wanted to zero in on this word for like. It's the word, it's the word that we talked about earlier. It's the adverb, the Greek adverb, hosper, which is used in Scripture to indicate a closer or similarity than normal a likeness that can be replicated in a close manner, similarities that are a, f- a few steps uh, short of identity with the thing with which it's compared. And I, I gave you this illustration of Jonah, and you can see some other illustrations, and we're not going to have time to go through it there. Um, but this idea of that there's a similarity that like in the way that manner that Christ was uh, uh, raised from the dead, also we as well were raised. Now notice the passive voice here of uh, raised is the word agaro, and it's used to note the believers imputed resurrection together with Christ. And so our Lord was raised out physically from the dead, and we saw good illustrations of that. But I want to show you again from the, 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 the side of it, and there's a, there's a manner that is similar to how the Lord was raised that is applicable to believers and how we're raised. Now you say, well, I haven't died. Right. But you were dead. You were spiritually dead. And what was death? What is death? It's separation. Right. You and I were separated from God. Now, we've been raised. Out from what dead? Here's the thing. You've been raised out from among the rest of those who are spiritually dead. And they're separated from God. Now, can I direct your attention to Romans, the 13th, the 6th chapter, and verse 13? So, as a result of what he says, well, let's just read down here from the 4th chapter. Now, he said that as a result of this likeness, that you and I were raised, and notice the point of why we were raised. And there's a subjunctive ideal here. He didn't say it's a thing that's going to happen, but there's the potential that you and I, because of this resurrection, can walk in a new kind of life. Isn't that wonderful? I just wonder how many believers ever get it. You know, a lot of us are hard-headed, right? We're going to do it ourselves. And then you see our lives just crash and burn, and we just double down. And we never understand what God has provided. He's already done the work. All we have to do is trust in what he's already done. Look at what he says here down in the sixth chapter. Uh, well, we'll read down from uh, four. But if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing that our old man, that old man is our position in Adam, is crucified together with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that we henceforth should not serve the sin nature or serve as a slave to sin nature. So that old position in Adam was 
really fueling that sin nature. And now it's been rendered inoperable. Courtney says it's been unplugged. We like to plug it back up every now and then, you know. Let me get a little taste of this. Notice what he says, for he that is dead is freed from the sin nature. Now, if we be dead with uh, Christ or together with Christ, we believe that we also shall live together with him. All of those really are things that you don't see in the English that are really crucial words that he's saying there, that we will intimately live together with him. Knowing that as Christ being raised from the dead dies no more, death has no dominion over him. No more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto the sin nature once. But in that he lives, he lives unto God. Likewise, reckon yourselves to be dead unto the sin nature, but alive unto God. Now, here you see this resurrection ideal, and I would say not through, but in Christ Jesus. Well, how'd you get there? You were raised together with him. And so now I can count this sin nature that is troubling me, which is the main thing that troubles you and I. I can count it. I'm dead to it. I can count myself to be dead to it. Do you know the unsaved man can? And notice what happens here. He says, let not therefore the sin nature reign in your mortal bodies that you should obey it in the luster of. Now, this is the way you know your sin nature is out of control. It's the king, and it's telling you what to do, and you say, okay, okay. And you can see it with a lot of people. Their sin nature is just driving them all over the place. And notice what he says in verse 13. Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto the sin nature, but yield yourselves unto God as those who are alive, Really, it's out from among dead ones. You know, we don't, I, we don't, and we'll see it next week when we talk about the world. Believers don't have a full appreciation for the fact of how different you are when you believe the facts of the gospel from those who don't believe. You think that, oh, we're all in the same. We're all the same. And a lot of believers are bordering on universalism. Those unsaved people are not my brothers. I don't identify with them. And if you do, and you believe that you're the same as they are, well, maybe you are. But from God's point of view, when he looks down upon the world, he sees a distinction between those who are in the family and those who are not. And that makes a difference. And so... And your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. And so for yield yourself, don't yield yourself or you yield yourselves uh, uh, unto God as those who are alive out from among those who are dead. Or you present yourself. Actually, it's actually the same word that is used over in Romans 12 of presenting yourself uh, as as, uh, instruments of righteousness. Now, Notice in Ephesians chapter two and verse six. You see it again, Ephesians 2 and verse 6. And something told me to only do two points here, but I always go for the gusto and try to do more. (laughs) 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 Notice in Ephesians chapter 2, and and we'll just, we'll uh, survey the last point there. Verse 1, and you have he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. 
So before we were saved, we were totally, uh, 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 we, we, we weren't alive to God at all. And notice where in, in times past you walked according to the course of this age, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. And so among Satan's family, there are certain ones that he's endured with certain abilities and they are being energized by him to accomplish what he wants. And we were walking and, and we were involved in that process of what they were involved in. And notice he says in verse three, among whom also we've had our conversation or our routine habit of life in times passing the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And were by nature children of wrath, even as others. And here's your, two of the most important words, I think, in the New Testament. But God. Who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherein he loved us, even when we were dead in sins. Do you see this? And these people say, yeah, I came to get myself together and I came looking for God. You, if you're looking for God, then I got a, you got a problem. I wasn't looking for God. God came looking for me. You see, you were dead in sins and he has quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. And notice, and he has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. Do you know that's your status today? It's so sad to see believers live below what we are. We're better than that. I see a lot of believers today identifying with the lowness of the world system. We're better than that. Do you know we've been raised together with Christ? From God's point of view, he looks over at his right hand and he sees you and I sitting there at his right hand. And he, he's allowing us in the here and now to be a part and participant of what he's doing in this world. And as we understand who we are, that there is a confidence that you can have in this life that you're not going to get from anything else in this life. How tragic it is that as believers, so many believers are living so far below who we are. It would be like being the heir to one of the richest thrones in the world and you're living like a pauper. And it's just really, really sad. We've been raised together in the likeness of Christ's resurrection. Him being raised from the dead not only holds hope for us in this life, but for the future life. Hope for this life? I don't have to justify myself to anybody. I've already been justified. Isn't that what it said? That he was raised for our justification. That we're seen as right before the Father. Not because of what we can do or what we have done, but because of what the Son has done on our behalf. Isn't that what it said in 2 Corinthians 5.21? He has made him to be a quality of sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God where? In him. So many people 
trying to justify themselves to other people. So many people trying to justify themselves to God when you've already been made right because the work the Son has accomplished on your behalf. Don't tell me that the resurrection of Christ is not important. It has implications for the life that we're living now and the life that is coming. And I really don't think that if you don't understand the resurrection of Christ and your likeness together with it, that you can actually live a life that is well-pleasing to God in the here and now. And I think that I don't like your chances. I think you're going to crash and burn. I trust that you don't. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity of being able to look at these things and grateful that as believers that we are co-raised together with your son, buried together with him, and raised together with him. It's, it's just an amazing thing when we understand what the imputation that has occurred as a result of the work that your son accomplished on our behalf. And it's beyond our mind to fathom it. And yet we oftentimes look for solutions to life in all the wrong places when you've provided them right in front of our very eyes. And we're thankful that you provided it. And by your grace, that we are partakers as uh, we are able to have an appreciation for the provisions that you've given. And we have everything that we need to be able to be all of the people that you would desire us to be. And you provided, you, you provided everything and left nothing and no stone, nothing out and no stone unturned. And we're thankful for that. In your son's name we pray. Amen.